John chapter 2 and verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called his disciples to the marriage. When they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour, everyone say, Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. We need the help of the Lord right now. Somebody lift up their voice and say, Lord, would you just anoint us for a moment to hear your word? Because we're in search of this now. There are someone in this house, there are people in this place that need to hear what the word has to say, what God is speaking. So I'm praying right now, let the Holy Ghost fall and speak to us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I have to talk to you about the power of my persistence. Someone turn to someone and just smile at them and say something kind. Would you do that before you're seated now? Would you do that? Thank you. We didn't get to it, but thank you. verses into John chapter 2 reads in a very interesting way of course John's gospel is a revelation of the Lord's authority he, his deity John writes from the view of the incomparable savior embodied in the flesh but the opening Scene intrigues even the most ardent theologians. Few have found common ground concerning the Lord's miracle of water into wine. There is conflict of their myriad ideas or philosophical thoughts. Why and how? Only that now it has been the entire portion of scripture been regulated to the current wedding ceremonies and sermons and of course there is qualities that are found relatable but consider today the culture and the time this is a wedding of perhaps a family friend and they have run out of the necessary supplies during the feast it's not like it is today. It's, it's, not, it's not like today. It's, there's more riding on the feast, the dinner, than what we would consider. The father of the bride, if he is ill-prepared, will be humiliated if it's found out that he is inept, not prepared for the attending guest. 
If there's a lack of resources, then he hasn't prepared sufficiently during the course of his life. It means that he has neglected her. He has not thought enough about her for this day, the most pivotal day of her life. The stain will leave its mark on the bride and the father. Mary knows this. She knows the culture. She knows the day in which she lives. And this is why she bids Jesus to do something to remedy the problem. And while she offers no instruction how he might do it, it's clear that she has presented a need that requires something from the realm of the place of Jesus' origin. No one knows like her. Upon her request, Jesus replies, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. I love using that statement on Tammy all the time. Before our postmodern, westernized thoughts invade this 2,000-year-old Jewish culture, it should be noted that woman, the word woman, was a term of endearment. Better said, maybe, dear mother. But even in terms of kindness, the Lord still rebuffed her request. He was there. He put forth a line of distinction. This is not the time. In fact, it appears that this moment was premature to what his intended plan was. Jesus was not unprepared to do something miraculous. He was just expressing that his timing to open up the supernatural before all these people had not yet arrived. The next line is of the greatest importance to all of us. I'm, I'm sorry that, that I've missed it myself so many times during the course of my study and my life. In fact, it grieves me that I've memorized this entire book in the 80s and I've read the scripture decades ago so many times and I did not catch the great truth sitting there in the forefront. So just for the sake of review, Mary and Jesus are attending a wedding in Cana. Most scholars believe that Joseph has passed away by this time and Jesus being the oldest was caring for his mother. The wedding was going along fine until someone, perhaps the servants, notified those in charge that they were running out of wine there's a panic among them and Mary steps forward to assist in the need none of us are privy to any miracle that Jesus performed before this moment no one can say that he performed miracles prior to this time maybe this was the first maybe not though for Mary at least the incarnate God could not be hid from her regardless of what might or might not have been in his childhood or young adult life, Mary had experienced the beginning, and in the beginning she was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost and conceived. In the beginning she was visited by angels and magi and shepherds and a hovering star, a heavenly choir, and the awesome power of the eternal. It was enough for her to know that Jesus was in fact the Son of God. But when he declared that he could not heed her request and that his hour was not yet come. Mary opened up a door for all of us. She took a step. She moved the servants into the mode that is impossible for the Lord to refuse. It's called persistence. Persistent obedience. She said, whatever he says, do it. Here, Pastor, now. At the very core of our humanity lies the free moral agent 
the unique God-given power to disobey him and his word, you've got the power. We are made in his image to create. Even if that means creating turmoil and sinful habits and strife, we have the ability to reject him, to push him away. Nothing created has the power to reject him. The rocks will cry out and praise him if nobody will. Nature will incline to his bidding as the disciples once said. What kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? All of creation bow before him. Paul wrote that at his name, the mention of his name, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth will bend its knee to confess him. The demons in hell join this chorus of adoration because they fear him. Take a look at the man from Gadara. The legion of demons fell down and worshipped. Jesus. All of creation is subservient to the voice which spoke it into existence. All of it but us. Because we were not spoken. We were formed. We were not uttered. We were molded. And we became a living soul the moment that God breathed the breath of life into us. All other forms of life. Animals. The elements themselves bow at the sound of his omnipotent voice. All the galaxies, known and unknown, move and seek to the echo of his matchless, inexhaustive thought. But we, in this moment, are equipped with the ability to rebel against him, his voice. None of us need to hear his call, as the rest of creation must heed. None of us have to obey his command or come under subjection to his word, written or spoken. We get the choice, and the choice sets us apart from everything else in the world. Obedience is the power That moves the mighty hand of God. Watch it. Mary was not going to argue her point. She did not. She knew that Jesus understood the gravity of the moment. It was his culture too. This was not about people that needed food and drink. It wasn't about thirsty people, ladies and gentlemen. It was about the reputation of the bride and a lifelong blemish that would follow her faith, her family, her husband, and her father forever. So instead of doing nothing or letting it lay or resigning herself that at least she tried, Mary took the next step. She turned to the service and she said, whatever he says, do it. I'll put it another way. Mary said, let's become obedient and get prepared to see Jesus do something supernatural. Persistent obedience, the thing that opens the door, the choice that makes, that allows God to be all of who he already is. It's the very thing that caused Jesus, think of this, to bypass the original plan and move outside of his design. He said, mine hour has not yet come, but the hour changed because of their obedience. Persistent obedience can change even the timing of God. And not just obedience, but a determined, unremitting obedience. Get ready. Do whatever he says. Don't worry about what it is. Don't smother the moment with your opinion. Don't use your human logic or past personal experience to determine the validity of his command. Whatever he says, do it. And to that, think of this now. The hour changed. Obviously, Jesus moved up the time because they were ready to do anything. He said, can you hear this now? If you're ready, I'm ready. If you obey, I'll move up the time. God will change the time for you if you present yourself and say, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'll do it. Because obedience, persistent obedience, 
And we've lost this because we're, we're, we're thinking of ourselves. We've lost the idea of being obedient to God because we want to filter everything we hear by what we think our past or, or what the person who's saying it. I just stand here to tell you, if you'll become persistent and obedient to God, he'll change the time and the season for you because he is the God of the times and the seasons. God can change the time. He'll change the hour. The Lord showed me that Syrophoenician woman that came to the Lord, her daughter was tormented of the devil and she could not stand to think that this torment will haunt her young daughter the rest of her life. In fact, the Bible says her young daughter. So she besought the Lord, believing that he would. He, she knew he was going to do it. The mother's insistence was rooted in her faith. She believed it was built upon the foundation that not only would Jesus able, but that he was going to do it if she stood there long enough. She was convinced the scripture is so clear. There are no hidden messages here. The Bible is plain. She was thoroughly convinced that he would heal her daughter if she would not let go of her belief in him. And it was her faith that caused her to press forward even when Jesus spurned her plea and ignored her. That he would not, the Bible says, and I quote, he would not cast forth the devil out of her daughter. He was... Ignoring her, his initial reply is rejection, but his secondary reply is offensive. Jesus said in Matthew 15 and 26, It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Because the Jews consider the Gentiles dogs. Jesus related her to a dog and she knew it and she accepted it. In fact, she accepted it because the frame in which she was cast, hear me now, was not greater than her need for a miracle. That's persistent faith. Because faith is not only seeing what cannot be seen with the natural eye. Faith is pressing forward. It's walking out of the homeland like Abraham did in following God. It's moving without regard to our personal image. And I wonder, I wonder how many people have stunted their miracle because they were more concerned about how they were approached than what their need was. And I tell you that our faith can be damaged when we regard our image more than we regard our need. Here, pastor, our need is Jesus. It is the worship of the church. Your need is to hear the preached word of God. But offenses will come and offenses will wound our spirit. I'm not foolish, but sometimes I act that way. Go ahead, let any pastor or preacher call you a dog and see how long you'll stay. Uh-huh. Oh, I start calling people a dog, you ain't nothing but a dog. You'll find another church somewhere around the city. You'll get up and say, I went to the pastor, I asked him to pray for me. He said, it's not right for me to pray for dogs. You, this is not the way to build a church congregation. You don't look at people that have a real need. Guess what? Other people take up the offense and say, man, that, that, that man, he don't even have regard for people. He don't love anybody. What do you think other people were thinking when Jesus looked at her and said, it's really not right for me to take bread and give it to the dogs. I don't know what other people thought. Hear me. I know that people can belittle each other and damage each other. I hope we don't. I pray that I don't. I hope I use my words and my actions to love people. But I ask you today, what is going to separate you from your need? Paul spared no expense after covering every possible reason to quit. Paul knew that to make it, you had to be persistent. We had to make our demand of ourselves and keep our faith to be saved. If you're going to be saved, you got to fight for it. you got to love it. You gotta want it. Even to stay in the church. 
you got to disregard all the negative things that people say and do and love it and hold on to it if you're going to be saved. Because in this life, there will be offenses. And Jesus asked, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Because offenses will strip you of your faith. And the difference in that day, at the last day, is going to be faith. Faith to remain. Faith to believe. Faith to give. Faith to sustain trouble inside the church and outside the church. Faith to follow the principles of the scripture. Jesus said... Hear, hear the scripture. Jesus said, the widow who needed justice against her adversary was there presenting herself time and again. But the judge did not regard men or God. He had no time to answer her. Yet hear the scripture. Luke 18. Yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets her justice so that eventually she will wear me out if she keeps with her coming. Hear me. You got to get up every day. When it's Sunday morning rolls around, I don't care if the tires are flat you fix the tires call somebody ask somebody to pick you up you got to get to the house of God when you don't feel like it you got to get to the house of God if you have to sit by the people that you don't like you get to the house of God if everybody's offensive you get to the house of God if you got to wade through the worship service you get to the house of God because you need the Lord more than anything in this world here, Pastor, and every time you pray for that need, every time you ask God and he doesn't give it to you and the heavens seem like they're brass and your prayers are bouncing off of heaven and coming back time and you walk away watching other people get healed but you walk away sick. You just get up again and you pray it one more time. If today it didn't happen, it's going to happen next Sunday. I'm going to keep on knocking. I'm going to keep on asking. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm going to get there. I'm not the man I'm going to be, but I'm going to get there. I'm not the pastor that I'd like to be, but I'm working on it. Uh, problem is that we are ruled by our emotions. And we are controlled. We don't think so, but we are controlled by the commentary of somebody else. Because their commentary dictates our spirit. Their definition of who we are. We decide how we're going to respond to them. I'd like for someone just to get up and say, I don't care what you call me. I'm going to ask again. You can't change my good nature. Because I believe that God's going to do something for me. So call me any name you want. Put me anywhere you want. Take me on a position. Throw me here or there. Give me the front row or the back row. I come here because I've got a need. And I'm not going to quit. I'd like to have some theme songs, you know, every once in a while in the church. I like the old song, You're Gonna Make It. You got what it takes to win. That's an old song. We used to sing that song. About the first ten courses that mom would sing it, nobody would do anything. And then, you know, on the next ten, you know, people start to believe it. That's a good theme song to keep people. Or, of course, when they leave, then you got another theme song you, you could sing. You picked a time fine to leave me, Lucille. Four hungry children and a crop in the field. <laughs> Going to have some song. <laughs> I've got some good friends. 
I don't really know if I'm their friend until they ask me for something that's inconvenient. You might think you have 504 friends on Facebook. But just ask them to do something that costs them. See how many thumbs up you get. Would somebody pray for me? Thumbs up. Would you come to my house and pray for me? My phone died. (laughs) Something's wrong with the internet. Go check out that friend. Because you don't know that you're a friend until your friend comes to you in the inconvenient time, let's say at midnight. And Jesus said, all of you know that if you have a friend who knocks on your door at midnight and asks you for bread, you know what you'd say. What's wrong with you? My kids are sleeping. And it's midnight. See, when it's inconvenient, you state the obvious. (laughs) But if that friend keeps asking and knocking, and won't leave you alone, and if they are persistent, you'll get up. And you'll help them. And I love the last line of Luke chapter 11 verse 8. Yet because of his importunity he will rise. And give him. Watch it. This is Jesus talking. It's all, it's, these are all red letters for all you red letter people. He'll give him as many as he needeth. Which means in the Greek and probably the Hebrew, Spanish, Portuguese, maybe German. I'm not sure. This is what it means. The father will get up and give the friend. He'll step over his children. Because in those days, there was a one-room home. He'll climb over all the sleeping kids. He'll go to the basket. He'll get whatever the man needs just to get him to go home. Why would Jesus present that if our father already knows what we have need of? Why would the Lord present that if Jesus has already presented the idea that we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, but our Heavenly Father will give freely and liberally? Why would the Lord present that? The reason why is because it's not contingent upon what he'll give us. It's contingent upon our persistence to receive it. And I'm convinced that the reason why you don't have blessings in your life and you're struggling in all kinds of areas because you gave up after you got rejected the first time and the second time. But I'm just presenting this today. If you'll keep on coming, keep on praying, keep on worshiping, stop using your emotions to decide whether or not God loves you or not. Love the Lord. Hold on to the truth and keep on knocking. He's going to give you as much as you need and more. You can't contain it. I'll tell you what I'm preaching about. I'm preaching about coming to church. I'm preaching about church attendance. Who would have thought that the preacher would get up and encourage people to come back to church? Forgive me if you think it's, it's odd. I want to tell you, get to this house. Find your seat. Come a little early. <laughs> 
get planted in the house something good is going to happen you don't know when it's going to happen your eyes are going to open up one day and maybe you're going to see something that Courtney and, and brother Randy saw you're going to see you're going to hear a word that's going to strike you like brother Mark just talked about something's going to happen it's going to change your existence hear me if you'll get to this house something good is happening in this house I'm promoting you coming to the house of God it'd be good to come here one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after that I may inquire in the house of the Lord to worship the Lord I'm promoting prayer because prayer has to be continual and worship. See, I do know that the Lord is looking for that determined, resolute, purposeful, adamant, insistent spirit that ushers us into the realm where we have never been before. How many times have I entered this house and worshiped in spite of the trouble? I cannot tell you the whole. How many times have I worshipped and preached inside of this place when my outside world of the church was in chaos? I cannot tell you the whole. And I wonder how many people thought that I was doing good because they saw me with my hands lifted up and a smile on my face and they heard me sing a song and they thought that I was confident and courageous when in reality I was none of the above. I was just determined to set aside the conflict and the trouble because I came in search of Jesus. What you didn't know was there's a lot of storms and raging I got a lot of problems I'm trying to work through it but I didn't come here for you I came here for him and I thought if I could just keep calling on him when I did not hear from him it's not a facade it's my decision I'm not putting on a show it's my decision it's not because I feel like it I've set my emotional duress to the side I've decided that the Bible is true and the word of God commands me to be filled with the Holy Ghost and the word makes a demand on me to seek a separate life and to be a Jesus seeker and a giver and a worshiper it's not always who I am but it's what I aspire to be see I'm standing here and I'm becoming I'm not where I need to be but I'm becoming I'm in pursuit of him I need him I'm knocking on his door I'm standing at attention if I'm rebuffed I'm holding on to him I don't know how he's gonna do it but I'm putting my obedience to the test and I'm saying Lord I'll obey you whatever you want to do here pastor now you peel away all the elements and the minimal talents which we think they're so great and the shallow levels of our know-how what we are left with is your persistence I'm so happy for talented people but if you're not persistent it doesn't mean anything I don't, I don't care how many resources you are how many friends you have if you're not persistent it won't mean anything it's the thing that God cannot do for me hear me he cannot give me persistence but when I have it it's the thing that I have to possess him. He's not going to get away from me. Now, he might get away from you. He ain't getting away from me. You might give up on him. I ain't giving up on him. Because I know he's waiting for me to knock one more time. And when the door opens, hear me. You'll get all the bread you ever needed. You'll get the healing for your family. Hear me. You'll get the water and the wine. You'll get the supernatural thing. And people will look at you and wonder, why did you get it? It wasn't because you had heritage in Pentecost. It wasn't because you had know-how. You didn't have to learn how to exegete the scripture. You didn't have to know the canon of the Bible. You didn't have to know anything really about God except if I keep asking, if I keep after him, he'll open up a door that nobody can shut. (laughs) 
I'll tell you what my prayer is. I want to have an overflowing apostolic revival in the city that this church can barely hold the people. And we got to have multiple services, a new seating, a new choir. I'm praying for a hundred more young people in the youth service. I'm praying for 500 children in the children's worship service. I'm praying for miracle signs and wonders. I'm praying that cancer will still be healed. I'm praying that liver disease will still be healed. I'm praying for your back trouble and will still be healed. I'm praying for all the diabetics that they'll be healed. I'm praying for all the marriage crisis that you'll be healed. I pray for all the wayward children that they'll be healed. Hey, I was praying for that 10 years ago. I'm going to keep praying for it today. things that Tammy's stepdad said to me stuck in my mind. He's a man of few words. The second thing, of course, was the day I took my mother-in-law and Papa J.W. to breakfast and I asked for their permission and blessing to marry Tammy. Now, my mother-in-law is good with words and, of course, she was very kind, but she was preferring J.W. He had never had anyone ask him for blessings. Which at the point, at that time, I'm not sure exactly what he thought I was asking. He might have been holding his wallet. <laughs> so before he gave me his blessing, this is how he did it. He said... I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and bring Tammy Joe hot coffee. Are you going to do that? I said, um, absolutely. One of these days, I'm... <sighs> but the first thing that I remember him saying was the second time I came to the house in Singer, Louisiana. And he said, boy, you back again? You come on up, you come on this wavered David Joe. I didn't take that as discouraging, but I, it could have been. I could have thought, maybe he doesn't want me here. It's like me saying to you, I'm so glad to see you again today. Well, that's offensive. It's glad to have you back. Well, don't I have a right to be here? All of a sudden, our brains start kicking in overdrive, and we start thinking about ourselves. Lord, I really need a healing. Mm, ain't got time. Would you please heal my situation? Yeah, but you're not qualified. I consider this in the son of Timaeus, which could be an identification of the particular blind man, seeing that in those days, the disease of the eyes 
were more common than we would think. And so to identify Bartimaeus, we're going to declare, the scripture will declare his father's name. Because maybe there's a lot of Joes and Bills and Johns and Mikes. Bartimaeus is a common name. Not just any Bartimaeus, but the blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. There's a processional of people leaving Jericho. All the disciples, many people. They're leaving on the way out of town. Maybe perhaps the corner. Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus. He hears. He has this need, so he pleads. Bartimaeus is by the highway side begging. So his description, full description is Bartimaeus, the son of, the, of Timaeus, is by the highway side begging. Of course, that's the presumed location of people who are blind. He hears the noise. He feels a small tremor of feet, the dust kicking up. He could taste it in his mouth. It's the moment that will determine his entire destiny. Had he stayed silent, you and I would probably never know his name. But he cried out. And I wonder how many would-be, could-be, possible miracles lay untouched, unreceived. Because the, per- because the person who was in need was not persistent enough to get to Jesus. I wonder how many people have left churches because they got discouraged just a little too much right before the Lord would change their entire destiny. I wonder how many people didn't make it into the scripture because they gave up or they just justified their living or they decided that they would not risk being rejected twice. They wouldn't stand to be wounded or rejected or humiliated by anybody. But Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And of all the profundity pronounced that day in Mark chapter 10, this is my favorite line. It comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 48. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried out the more a great deal. They charged him. It comes from the Greek word epitomeo, which means to censure or to admonish or to forbid, to straightly rebuke, be quiet. It was an embarrassment for them. Think of it. They sought to censure him. They rebuked him at his word. They knew his condition, but they forbid him to make any noise or a scene. Somehow, they were afraid that they would suffer the humiliation or the damage of their own image or their own reputation. They didn't want him to make a scene. They thought, this isn't the moment. We're having a processional. All the dignitaries are with the Lord. We're leaving Jericho. This is the right time. Kind of like coming to the church house on Sunday morning. It doesn't feel like Sunday night. This is not the revival night. There is no prophet here to pray over somebody. The healing ministry is not in the house. So we didn't come with that expectation. We got this idea. We cannot have this kind of move on Sunday morning because you'll make a scene. And I wish I could stand up here to say, I wish somebody would make a scene today. Because the reason why you won't is because your pride is greater than your need. 
But persistence will push you past your pride. It triumphs over the image of who you think you are. I rise to say obedience and faith and worship and prayer and the power that you have in your hand to change the hour and the timing of God to pause him in his tracks is the persistent faith that you bring every day. Okay, so you fell down. Get back up against. So you made a mistake yesterday. Get in the house on Sunday. So you don't have a lot going on and you wish somebody would love you keep coming the bible says if a man wants to have a friend he has to show himself friendly that's an open display that means you have to remove all the barriers and if someone rejects you go to the next person you got a friend waiting for you in this house you got an answer waiting for you in this house there's a miracle waiting for you in this house huh? i wish i had some honest folks now just be honest with me you got discouraged. You got low. You got down. You got sick and nobody called you. <laughs> you were ill, had trouble, nobody gave to you. Uh-huh. You were in your pew and nobody shook your hand. And if they did, they couldn't even remember your name. And you wondered, man, I've been here so long and they can't remember my name. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You said, well, maybe the church is too getting so large that we just, we lost true ministry. Oh, I got all the commentaries. <laughs> you wondered, where's my place? You wondered, is anybody caring for me? I want to tell you right now, get in this house. Push aside all the rejection. It's going to be better tomorrow. It's going to be greater tomorrow. Even if you come from a home of sorrow, you get in this house and you raise your hand and say, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his house courts with praise. I'll be thankful. I'm going to bless his name. I've come for you, Lord. And when the, cha- the Lord changes your life, everybody will know the change in your life. I'm almost through. There's a little book that I love called Outliers. Within the book is a, is a, is a, is a law. It's a, it's a rule. It's a 10,000 hour rule. Years ago, someone came to my brother and Scott was playing and he did a little run up the keyboard with his fingers. It was just effortlessly. He was kind of looking off to the left and someone walked up to him and said, I play the piano for the Scott. Teach me how to do that. He said, well, it's really easy. He said, you just follow this chord structure. And you stay within the parameters of the given key. And you just run your fingers up the keyboard. They said, okay, how do you do it now? He said, now do that 10,000 times. I love the little poster in the gym with the miracle cream guaranteed to shed 50 pounds off of your body. You rub the cream on and then you run 10 miles. It works every time. The the 10,000 hour rule is that to become the master of anything, you have to repeat it 10,000 hours. We want the quick fix when we come to church. We think this is instant church. We want to have a solo cup experience with God. 
We want to have a prayer and all of a sudden immediately God's going to change our life. I'll tell you, you give this house 10 more years. In 10 years, you'll be a powerful, Holy Ghost filled. You'll be so filled with the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, you won't even recognize the person you used to be. But if you give up too soon, if you quit too soon, or if you let other people dictate who you're going to be, you'll quit a long time and your destiny will be stunted. I want to tell you, your name ought to be written in the book of life and your name ought to be written at New Life Fellowship and your name ought to be written among the people who held on, who had a miracle. You ought to be able to stand up and say, I was almost going to give up, but I knocked one more time. I asked one more time and God... Please stand with me now. This is my third, possibly fourth closing. I feel, I feel like the Lord wants to bring us somewhere. I don't know who this is for, but, and it may not be for you. I don't know. I think it's for everybody, but maybe the food is not prepared just like you want it but I, I feel like somebody you're just on the precipice of something powerful you're just standing at the border of something incredible in your family you've, you've been there so long you, you've tried so hard you've, you've prayed so much you just haven't seen it happen and you're wondering if it's worth it i got a word from God for you you kill that you get in that altar and you knock on that altar and you say, God, I'm here again. I need something from you I cannot do myself. I'll do whatever you want me to do. It doesn't matter what you ask, Lord. I'll make a scene. I'll pray a prayer. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to have persistent obedience. I'm never going to stop being obedient to your word. I'm never going to stop giving. I'm never going to stop serving. I'm never going to stop coming. And you pray. Hear me. If you'll hear this word, God is going to do something for you. He's been waiting for you to keep on knocking. He wanted to know how much you wanted him. And he will change his time. He'll change his order for you. Come on, just lift up your hands. All You ought to respond to the spirit of God. He's in this house now. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't get frustrated. The Lord loves you. He's so good and merciful. He's so great and divine. Oh, he's telling you, come on, all the bread you want, all the miracles you want, all the help you want. He's got restoration beyond your capacity to consider. He's got hope and help beyond what you think he has. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Say it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Your persistent faith. I faith. I got belief. I got belief. I don't care what the doctor said. I don't care what the psychologist says. I don't care what all my friends and family. I don't care even how it looks. God always gets the last word.